Hello, and welcome to a special podcast from the Hoover Institution on the future of domestic nuclear energy. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and with me today are two guests. William Medea is currently chairman of the Board of Overseers and vice president for the SLAC National Accelerator Laboratory at Stanford University. And Regis Matsi is a consultant to the international nuclear industry and former senior vice president and CTO of Westinghouse Electric Company. Gentlemen, thank you both for being here. Morning. Happy to be here. Morning. Happy. It's great to be on this podcast. Now, you two, along with uh, Gary Vine, have authored a new report on the future of something called SMR, or Small Modular Reactors. Explain for the layperson what they are and what role they could play in American energy production. All right. Well, I'll I'll take a shot at the first part of that, and Bill, you jump in. Uh, Small modular reactors are uh, reactors that are approximately one-third the size of the currently operating reactors, uh, recently defined by an output of about 300 um, megawatt electric. And uh, in that size, there's a lot of innovations that you can incorporate into small modular reactors that will help them uh, be competitive on the uh, uh, electric market and can help them be very safe. Uh, operating reactors. So this is a program that was initiated some years ago to uh, bring nuclear power to broader markets, uh, both domestically and internationally. And and what's what's the rationale here to help the listeners uh, understand why why do you move towards these smaller design sizes? What's what's the benefit there relative to the ones that we see uh, on the market already? It, it, it's a little bit like Back to the Future. When, when nuclear reactors first came online in the U.S. in in the '60s and '70s, they were in fact fairly small reactors to the at the size hmm. uh, Regis was talking about, a few hundred megawatts. Um, and because uh, the industry found that bigger was better, there was an economy of scale to grow these reactors from a few hundred megawatts to a thousand megawatts. Today's nuclear reactors are very large thousand megawatt machines. Because of the innovation we just talked about with advanced manufacturing, factory fabrication, much smaller heat sources, the industry is now looking back to what it had initially, these small modular reactors where they fit different markets, they appear appear to be possibly economical. They're clearly very safe reactors, and so those are some of the primary motivations that have moved the industry back to where they were literally almost 50 years ago. Yeah, if, I, if I could add to that, uh, two other things are helping to drive this trend, and one of them is the affordability of nuclear. The very large plants uh, have a price tag per uh, unit, on the order of five to ten billion dollars, depending on the size, the design, uh, location, contracting, these uh, small modular reactors would have a price tag on the order of, let's say, a third of that, just as a round number. So this makes uh, nuclear affordable to more customers, whether they be utilities in the U.S. or uh, foreign countries where the economy economics of the country cannot afford the large units. 
The other uh, item or motivation here is the replacement of old fossil units uh, in the United States primarily, and they tended to be in the two to three hundred megawatt electric size. But they're very old, inefficient, and not particularly environmentally friendly. So there is a movement to try to uh, replace those uh, older units with non-carbon emitting technologies. And this ha there's a window of opportunity for the SMRs for that replacement. So if those are some of the benefits on the economic side and on the environmental side, what about um, the national security area? How do these fit into those concerns? Well, w what you see with these small reactors is you have a much smaller nuclear source term. I mean, think of it sort of as, a, as an engine. The, the large gigawatt-scale reactors that you see today have large cores, lots of material in them. These reactors are substantially smaller, to Regis's point, you know, a tenth to a third uh, smaller than the current designs. That means far less material available, far smaller source terms, far less hazard available to the public. And so those are some of the both safety and national security reasons why these smaller reactors uh, have a real appeal today. Yeah, to, to amplify that, uh, in the United States, there are some uh, relatively large uh, military and or space facilities that would like to have secure power even if the electric grid went down, whether it be because of environmental or terrorist uh, actions. And the small size of the SMRs uh, could allow them to completely uh, decouple from the grid and still remain online powering these secure facilities, uh, uh, let's say, uh, government or military uh, installations. Okay, so what are some of the challenges that we're, we're looking at as far as getting this process fully commercialized, getting these things to a point where they're sort of widely adapted? Well, Troy, you, you may have uh, heard both Regis and I use the word might or could quite a bit so far. <laughs> right. and, it's, and it's because we haven't built one of these in a long, long time. And so to answer your question, until we begin to actually manufacture and produce and operate these small modular reactors – the economic question looms very, very large. We think, based upon all the work we've done, all the work the industry is doing, that these offer real potential. But the, the main thrust of our paper says what we need is a government industry roadmap that goes down the path, builds several of these, tests them out on the market, checks the economics, checks the safety and reality, as, as opposed to sort of on paper right now. And so that's the first thing we have to get through is, are the economics there? Are the operating parameters we think are going to uh, be there actually realized? That's the number one challenge for us. Yeah, and to build on that theme of the overall economics of SMRs, uh, getting to the point where we understand that and actually implement it is the cost and time to bring the, the, these early designs to market. Um, typically, for a new reactor design, you're talking on the order of a billion dollars worth of engineering, testing, and licensing. And you're typically talking about 10 or 15 years. That is under the current process that we've used for the large light water reactors. 
And that clearly is a challenge today, not knowing whether they'll be economically competitive in the future. And the other aspect of this is to try to get some firm uh, feeling that they would be economic is that part of the economic story for SMRs is the idea of building a whole series of these using a standard design and having most of that build be by factory fabrication and more or less uh, assembled and installed at the site. So it, it begs for a order book and a uh, modular factory facility in place, neither of which today exist. And you guys mentioned the prospect of doing this in such a way that it was a sort of public-private partnership. Could you give us a feel of how the labor would be divided there? I mean what would be important to come from the government side? What would be important to come from the private sector side? Well, fundamentally, the, the government's role in this is to buy down the technical risk. Uh, when you look at how mm. the government operates in the research world, uh, whether it's wind power, solar, or these advanced nuclear concepts, the fundamental role of government is to make those kinds of re- research and development investments that the private sector simply can't make. They're too risky. It's too much money, as Regis pointed out. And so the government's role is to come in here um, invest in some of the advanced R&D on manufacturing, on the new designs, on, on, the, on the various aspects of the technology, so that it makes the investment by the private sector much more palatable, much more acceptable. And so fundamentally, it's the government buying down technical risk to the point where the private sector can then come in, bring its capital, and build these plants. Yeah, and I think that if I were just to amplify just a little bit, because Bill, Bill said it very clearly, uh, buying down the risk is, is relative to both design and licensing at the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And that requires a lot of detailed design, testing, uh, preparing the safety case based on that information and then defending it at the U.S. NRC. Once that's done, private sector, and particularly power companies, utilities, I think will see the uh, value proposition there and will be able to go forward and pay the cost for not only the building of the plant but all the site preparation. Do either of you have a sense right now for where the public at large sort of is on the issue of, of nuclear energy? It seems that every every now and again we get this cycle where there's some sort of public anxiety about it, but it also seems that it's usually fairly – it's not real deep. It's generally a reaction to the word nuclear. Have we seen any change in uh, public opinion on this technology? Oh, I, I think it's quite dramatic. So first of all, the public – does and should worry about safety. That's their primary concern. Right. What's nice about these small reactors is they are demonstrably very, very safe. Um, they don't have enough energy in their nuclear core to cause the kind of meltdowns you see at, uh, at Three Mile Island or at Fukushima. So that's an inherent fact around these reactors. There's simply okay. not enough energy in the core to melt them down. That's, that's a huge advantage. But when I go around the country and I talk to universities or high school students, their primary concern today is not the, 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 the anti-nuclear feelings of the 60s and 70s. 
their worries about climate change. They're worried very much about carbon loading in the atmosphere. And when you talk to them about a nuclear power source uh, that is carbon free, you get a very high receptivity. So I'm finding the fundamentals uh, in the public are changing from an anti-nuclear uh, concern to a uh, serious concern about climate change. Yeah, and if you look at the polls that are taken with, uh, I would say, kind of unbiased questions, the majority of the people, typically on the order of 60 or 65 percent, are in favor of nuclear. And my personal opinion is, including what Bill said, which I think is absolutely true, uh, having surveyed my own children and their spouses, um, I believe that the response by our U.S. government and the NRC, when there is a, uh, an accident such as Fukushima, is very important. And, and, and generally, it's been a good uh, response by our government. And that helps build confidence because it puts in the media uh, the support uh, from uh, you know, the, the, the government that, that helps uh, the nuclear industry. So final question then for the both of you. Play this forward for me. What are the big developments in this field right now and where do you see it going in the next few years? Uh, let me take a first shot of that, Bill, and then you can take a bigger picture maybe. I think the development right now is we have uh, some activity in the U.S. through a U.S. DOE program that is supporting the design uh, testing and licensing of SMRs, and two awards were given by the U.S. Uh, Department of Energy toward that end. And one of those uh, initiatives is going full speed ahead. The other one started well and has had some, um, uh, let me say, hiccups based on uh, trying to find investors and market acceptance early in the development process. There are additional um, uh, vendors in the United States, which I think are ready to move if they can see a market. And I'm not sure what, what signals they're going to get or what they're looking for. If you look internationally, there are many different countries that are all already developing and in several cases already building small modular reactors. So I think it's going to be a reality. The question is, will the U.S., be at the marketplace at the right time to be able to uh, be the supplier of choice. Yeah, just just picking up a bit on that, I, I agree completely. I mean, this is inherently an American technology uh, designed and built in America in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Today, you look at these small modular reactors coming out of Korea, Japan, China, even places like Argentina. Um, they see the market, they see the application, they see both the economic and climate benefits of these reactors. Our concern in our paper is well, we could be left at the doorstep uh, buying these reactors from foreign countries in 10 years unless we, unless we come to action right now. And so uh, the basic point of our, our, our paper is that there's a call to action now because if we don't do this as the United States – we're going to be buying this technology from others in a decade. All right. My guests have been William Medea and Regis Matsey. You can read their report with Gary Vine, Small Modular Reactors, a Call for Action, on our website at hoover.org. Gentlemen, thank you both for being here. 
Thank you, Troy. Enjoy. You're it. welcome. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.